written by a friend of mine named Wayne Grigger. Marshall's middle name is Lynn. Rebecca's middle name is Lynn. Middle names are important. Wayne Gregory. That's why Paul's middle name is Wayne. By the way, my middle name is Gregory. The Lord picked that long before I met Brother Wayne. Where would we be without friends? Last week we talked about Shimei. He wasn't a very friendly guy, wasn't he? He threw rocks and kicked up dust to David. He was not the president of David's fan club. You see, Shimei felt like just because Saul and Saul's sons are dead, I'm a distant relative. I ought to get a piece of the pie. What's in it for me? He called David a usurper, among other things. That's something we read about there in the 16th of 2 Samuel. I want you to back up a few chapters to chapter 9. I want to talk about an opportunity that David had to honor a friend of his. Now, some names in the Bible are pretty easy to say, pretty easy to spell. If I were giving a spelling test on Bible names, there are some that could be a snap, and then others would be kind of a challenge. And the one I want to give you this morning is the character who's emphasized here in 2 Samuel chapter 9. His name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Can you say Mephibosheth? I knew you could. You see, Jonathan and David were friends. Jonathan died at the end of 1 Samuel along with his two brothers and his daddy Saul. I want to read the entire chapter here, this ninth chapter of 2 Samuel, all 13 verses. Maybe by the end I'll be able to not mispronounce this man's name. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. When they called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul? that I may show the kindness of God unto him. Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, 
which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. David said, Mephibosheth, the answer, Behold thy servant. David said, I'm fair not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am? By the way, does that ring any bells from last week when uh, Shimei was casting all of his aspersions at David? David's man said, Shall I let this dead dog keep talking or how about I just cut off his head? That was about as low as you could go. I know we have pups and pooches at home little fluffums or whatever. We love our doggies, but in biblical times, if you were called a dead dog, you couldn't get much lower than that. So it's a humbling term. He used it for himself. Then the king called Aziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. Thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bring always at my table. Now Zeba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Zeba unto the king, According to all my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All that dwell in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem where he did eat continually at the king's table. And he was lame on both his feet. The story of Mephibosheth standing by itself is a beautiful picture. Talk about kindness. Talk about consideration. Talk about feeling that you have a debt to someone. We sang a song this morning. See how songs help too? Jesus is all the world to me. He's my friend. And I think I heard something in a song we were singing just a little bit ago about that. There's a word that Christians are familiar with. Grace. Somebody said that stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. The word grace means a gift. You can't 
earn it. But it can be given. And the grace of God is given. I hope you know that if you're saved, you're not saved by works. You're not saved because of your pedigree. You're not saved because of your bank account. You're saved because of grace. The grace of God. And Mephibosheth, and what happens with him is a beautiful picture. I intend next week to give you the parallel because in a lot of ways, you can relate to Mephibosheth. And I can relate to Mephibosheth. You might say, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, I'm glad you're here. I hope by the grace of God to try to explain some of this. For in many ways, Mephibosheth does picture the child of God, the true rags to riches before and after story. I want you to think about five things about Mephibosheth and just his situation. First of all, there was a covenant. We're reminded of it in verse number one. For you see, long before we get to this passage, way back in the 18th of 1st century, it tells us that there was David and there was Jonathan. Different backgrounds. They were close in. But there was something about David. And there was something about Jonathan. And they were drawn together. They weren't just co-soldiers. They became friends. It says their hearts were knit together. Closer than brothers. In fact, in the early part of that 18th of 1 Samuel, it tells us that their souls were knit together and Jonathan pledges his love for young David. Now, there are some sordid people that tried to suggest that there was something wicked, something untoward, no, no, nothing like that. You know, the Bible says one of the requirements for the man of God is to be a, a lover of good men. I love my brothers in Christ. A lot of them are in heaven now. Thankfully, some are still with us. And while I have a special love for my beloved wife and for all four of our children. I have, by the grace of God, love for my brethren in Christ, especially my preacher brethren. We just have something in common. Now, after Jonathan made that pledge about and toward David, he became brother-in-law to David. For he married David married Jonathan's sister Michael. And you know what? When David married Michael, he started to have father-in-law problems. <laughs> if you are a son-in-law, I know that sometimes that can be a challenge. Thank 
God for good mothers-in-law. I got one. And thank God for good fathers-in-law too. They don't always say eye to eye, but hopefully you've never had a father-in-law problem like David did. I mean, oh, she never tried to nail me to the wall. Wanted to nail my eye a few times, but that's you know, not in the literal sense. There were times when Saul was jealous of David. And then he became afraid of him. And then he was intent on destroying him. And it's interesting that even though Jonathan was a loving son of Saul, he said, now Dad, David's never done anything to hurt you. Well, why do you have a problem with him? It's interesting twice when David was there in the presence of Saul, Saul picked up a javelin and tried literally to nail him to the wall. And one time when Jonathan spoke up in David's defense, Saul says, where's my javelin? Look out. Look out. But I want you to know that this beneficial effort on David's behalf pictures something about the grace of God. You see, the way David words this, he said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You remember, precious friends, those who have invested in you, those who took the time to give you a word of encouragement, those who are willing to give an ear. And sometimes a friend has to tell you something you don't want to hear. Your friend is not the person that just pats you on the back. You're, you're okay, but just the way you are. Your friend is the one who challenges you to go deeper in your knowledge of the Lord. To be bolder in your witness for Christ. To take the time to look for your strengths and encourage you in those. And also let you know that there's help for your weaknesses because we all have weaknesses. Your friend doesn't deride you because you have a weakness. But he is able to sympathize. He's able to speak some words of kindness and encouragement. So that was a covenant that went on long before Jonathan breathed his last in this word world. And it explains in verses 2 and 3 that there was a cripple. And his name is the man we're studying, Mephibosheth. It tells us that Zeba is asked, Is there anyone left? And Zeba said, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. He couldn't walk. You look back in the record, you'll find that when Mephibosheth was just a little fella, maybe the size of this one. His nurse dropped him. I'm sure the lady was sorry. 
I'm sure she wished that she had not allowed that child to drop from her arms, but he did. And it had disastrous result. Messed up in his legs so bad. He couldn't walk. In fact, you'll notice the last part of the chapter we read. Even though he had the promise afforded by David, even though the provision was there, all these servants to take care of the land, and an opportunity, he knew that he ate at the king's table every day. Pretty good. And yet, he was still lame on both his feet. David couldn't cure Jonathan Paris, Mephibosheth's legs. But he could do something. And he did what he did. It reminds us that here's a man who was not in a position to do for him. We use sometimes, you hear lawyers use the term quid pro quo. If you'll do this, I'll do that. It's a, it's a give and take kind of deal. But when David called Mephibosheth before him, he didn't say, no, I'm going to do this. But can you do that? We can kind of do a switcheroo. We can do a swap. We, you can pay me back with this uh, you know that a lot of people try to do that with the Lord. Lord, you saved my soul, and so I'm going to do this. I'm going to... Now we ought to be willing to give of all that we are and all that we have, but not to pay the Lord back. Number one, you don't have enough to pay the Lord back. I don't have enough. If I had a gazillion dollars, if I had more than all the richest folk in this world in my account, and I said, I'll give that to the Lord for my soul. Still wouldn't be enough. How precious is the blood of Christ. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough time. You won't live long enough to say thank you enough time to say, well, that evens the score. You don't even the score here. This fellow, when he was called in, couldn't question his loyalty. He fell on his face. Not like that other relative we read about last week who came on his feet, throwing rocks and kicking up dust and saying all kinds of trash to and about David. That's not Mephibosheth. He's not talking any trash. He's not trying to kick up any dust. And even though he was being recognized and he was receiving this great benefit from David. He couldn't pay him back. We thank the Lord for saving our soul. You don't have the capacity. You don't have the wealth. You don't have the experience. You don't have the power. You don't have the wisdom to do to and for the Lord what he did to and for you. In fact, Mephibosheth couldn't even provide for himself. The king could give him an honor. The king could give him all that belonged to Saul. The king could provide servants. But the king couldn't give his legs back. We've got to remember that 
David didn't say, you know, Mephibosheth, if you think good thoughts, if you tell yourself like that little engine that could, you know, I think I can, I think I can, you can stand on your own two feet. No. He was reminded daily of his great need. Are you reminded daily of your great need for the Lord? I know I am. Sometimes when I think, well, I'm ten foot tall and bulletproof. I can do anything. I'm, I'm just Mr. Fantastic. That sort of thing. Now you ain't. Even if you say, well, I, I could do this. I could. You might be able to do more than others. But uh, we're reminded of our limitations real quick. So we talked about a covenant. We talked about a cripple. And I want you to know, we talked about a call. We talked about a call this morning, too, didn't we? Isn't it interesting how these things? We have to get together on these notes, you know, and make sure that we're talking on the same track. No, the Lord has a way of taking care of it. The songs we sing, our, our devotion in the morning, our lesson in Sunday school. The call went forth. David didn't say, well, if there's anybody out there needs something, I'll just wait a lay. Feel the need. Get a notion to come on around. I suppose if somebody came around to the palace, I'd throw them a bone or something like that. No, David took the initiative. By the way, if you have a friend, a friend who is in need, it wouldn't hurt you to take the initiative. Marcia knows of whom I'm thinking just now. There was a man in a certain church, and one of his buddies got his nose bent out of shape and left the church. And his pastor said, well, have you been to visit him? I didn't tell him to leave. But did you go see him? He's the one deciding to go. Do you care for somebody? Well, I prayed for him once. Did you say anything to them? Did you make any overtures? David took the initiative. David makes the overture. He's the one. That when he heard that there was a son of Jonathan's, he didn't say, oh, well, I guess he knows where I live. He'll come around and see me. If he gets a mind to. Whatever. Whatever. No. You know what David asked? Where is he? He wanted to know where. He wanted to do something. And he didn't just find it out in his head. He spoke the words. Get him here. Fetch him here. And I used the word fetch once with a child. Had a uh, fifth grader. And I said, uh, go fetch me that book. Hey, dog. I didn't call you a dog. You said fetch. Yeah. Well, David said, go fetch that fellow and bring him here. Don't take offense. Just because a person uses a word that you might not see too, too often. And the king, David, sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the house of Amiel from Lodibar. Here was David, rich, on display. He had come into it. He was, as some would say, in high cotton now. He's not the one on the lamb. He's the one who is in the lap of luxury, some might say. 
He doesn't have Saul breathing down his neck. He's got the backing of the people. He's recognized as the king of God's people. And I want you to know that when he put out the call, he didn't say, I'm going to keep my distance for that Mephibosheth. After all, he is kin to Saul, and Saul tried to get me dead. Maybe old Mephibosheth, he might just turn on me. You know, there's some people that they can't have friends because they're afraid if they let anybody close to them, they might hurt them. I read about a fella, Niccolo Machiavelli. And he said, if a man wants to lead today, you, what you need to do, you don't be friends with people. You don't want them to love you. No. You want them to fear you. You want them to fear you so much, they wouldn't think about rebelling against you. That's the way the world thinks. Let's put the skier into them. Let's have them paralyzed with fear. But that's not David's way. David knew the Lord. David's son was used in the book of Solomon to say, the fear of man brings a snare. If you do things because you're afraid of what people will say, think, or do, <coughs> life never has its full joy. Here was David rich, desiring to share his blessings with this Helpless one. It wasn't so much a question of what Mephibosheth can do for me, but what he could do for Mephibosheth. It wasn't even so much what Mephibosheth was, but who he was. There was a connection. There was a feeling. There was an opportunity that touched him. David not only extended the invitation, but he even provided the transportation. We talked about Lazarus in Sunday school this morning. The Lord said, Lazarus, come forth. He said, yeah, but anybody else's grades like to come out? This would be a great time for it. I'm just saying. No, that's not the Lord. He called him by name, didn't he? Amen. Lazarus, come forth. You notice he didn't say, you know, if you feel like it, come out of that grave. No. When he spoke, see there's an outward call. When we proclaim the gospel, when we tell men that they need the free pardon of their sin by the work of Jesus Christ, affected by the Spirit, that's an outer call. Men hear that with the outer ear. And with a lot of it goes in one ear, just as quickly out the other. But when the Holy Spirit calls, He calls in such a way it is efficacious. It is effectual. It gets the job done. That's what that means. So David extends the invitation but provides the transportation. Because he knew Mephibosheth couldn't just get up and take a walk anytime he wanted to. He needed someone else to pick him up and tote him around. Carry him one place to another. And so, we read 
several verses here of the care that David initiated and David established and David maintained. He put it in place so that Mephibosheth would be taken care of. He didn't say, now look, I'll do this today and you're on your own the rest of the time. That'd be a sorry way. You know, some people think that's how salvation works. The Lord throws you a rope and He's not. You grab the rope and, okay, I'll tug on a little bit and let you know what direction you go. And then you swim. you got to do something yourself, you know. The Greeks had a saying, the gods help those who help themselves. Hope that's not part of your theology. I hope you know that when the Lord saves, He saves helpless ones. He saves unthinking ones. I want you to know that Paul was on his way to Damascus not to attend a revival meeting because he wanted to have a glorious experience. Or he wanted to have another notch on his belt, so to speak. Or in his gun, or however you want to put it. He wanted to snag more of those Christians and wow! He had an appointment with destiny. And it happened. He did make Damascus, yes. But not as the enemy, as the one who becomes the great advocate. The adversary became the enemy, if you will. So what did David do? He took care of the immediate needs of this pitiable person. You know, sometimes we use the word pitiful when we should say, Instead of saying pitiful, we should say pitiable. We, we look at some, you know, there's somebody who got hurt, somebody who's in a bad way, this, that, and the other. No, that's pitiable. The Lord is pitiful in the right sense. He is full of pity. It pleases Him to show mercy. That's the sort of God that we have. And it was a permanent thing. He said, now, here's what we're going to do, bud. I'm going to, we're going to have a nice Thanksgiving meal. And then you just hit the bricks. And maybe I'll see you someday, you know? Oh. Mephibosheth had a place at the table. As many meals a day as they ate. Mephibosheth, he wasn't a guest. He was one who had a reservation. It was a permanent thing. And it was a respectable thing. He said, now here's what we're going to do, Mephibosheth. We're going to have a feast next week and uh, you eat in the kitchen with the servants. No. Right here at the table. Just like one of the king's sons. And uh, Mephibosheth didn't say, well, is that all you're going to do for me? No. It was agreeable to it. We should have agreeable spirits as well. Shouldn't we? Appreciative and receptive of the graces of David. Now it tells us that even Mephibosheth had a son. And David undoubtedly took care of that son as well. It also tells us David made good. He restored the inheritance due to Mephibosheth. I mean, even if Mephibosheth said, I'm the grandson of a former king. 
I should be able to assert myself. I should be able to pull some strings. I should have somebody's ear. Even if he said that, even if he tried to act on that, who would listen to him in and of himself? He'd have probably been ignored or scorned and or mocked. But David gives the word. And so it comes down. The land. What could Mephibosheth do with the land? He's claiming both his feet. That's okay. These servants, they can do it. And it's interesting to me, he gave him a total of 35 to help. That's, that's five for every day of the week. Sounds like the Lord took care of things. But the very last part of this chapter takes us back to what it opened with when it told about Mephibosheth. He was still lame on his feet. There was only so much David could do. He was reminded of his infirmity. He was still a human being with all those frailties. Our God tells us in the Psalms that He's reminded that we are but just. That's really all we are. Grand scheme of things. Everything about Mephibosheth was the best that this world could afford. And yet it didn't change the basic problem. You can put fine clothes on him. He's still lame on both his feet. You can put a good meal in his belly. He's still lame upon both his feet. You can pile up gold coins all around him. He's still lame upon his feet. That's how it was until his dying day. Now, read on later, Mephibosheth didn't always do the right thing. Didn't always think the right way. Didn't make the right decisions every time. But one thing you can count on, he continued to be lame upon both his feet. Dependent on others just to get from point A to point B. There really was no difference between Mephibosheth physically between him and any other cripple. I'm satisfied there were many other cripples in that day, in that land. And yet David didn't say, hey, anybody's got this problem. No, it was specific. It was an enduring thing. It was a much appreciated thing. All in light of. This reminder of his former condition never allowed him to forget his death. When you wake up tomorrow morning, assuming the Lord doesn't come back and you go to be with Him, I hope you'll know that Monday, 17th of October, 2022, is also the day that the Lord has made. Do you rejoice in each day? Do you know that each day is a gift from God? Every breath that you draw, you draw because God affords it. It's humbling to be a creature. It's humbling to know that we are recipients of the great grace of our God. This should sober us. We had a president many years ago who could speak words to encourage people. He gave orders so that 
the military went out and a plan was devised and eventually the war was brought to an end. What he wasn't too proud of was the fact that even though he could be before a podium, he could speak over the air through the marvel of electronics, his word could be heard throughout the world, his will was put into effect, and yet he was confined to a wheelchair because of polio. Polio took its toll. There are a lot of parallels here. Lord willing, next Sunday, we're going to see that in a lot of ways, we got a lot in common with Mr. Mephibosheth. We have a song now, brother.